0: Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are cruising our way through. There's only 16 chapters in First Corinthians. We're gonna finish it up by the end of this month because at the end of this month is Advent. So, we are into the Christmas season for real very shortly. So, we're going to look at the first half of 1 Corinthians 15 today. Uh, If 1 Corinthians 13, that passage on love, is the probably most famous part of this book, boy, chapter 15 is close behind it. You will recognize things. You you will hear things from songs and from poems and all sorts of stuff. Chapter 15 is very well known. So, follow along with me. I'm going to read the first 34 verses of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet it's not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it's I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. But if you did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything has been put under its feet, it's clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I face death every day, yes, as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. There is a lot (laughs) in this passage. As I said, it is well known and very famous, but I want to focus this week at looking at Specifically what Paul says at the beginning, although we'll, we'll go on too because that's important to what, what he's going to talk about. He says he wants to remind us of the gospel. Now, you've probably heard me say before, nowadays, do you ever hear the word gospel anywhere but in church? I don't think it gets used anywhere but, but in a Christian church. But in Paul's day, it was a normal, everyday word. And you've probably heard me say before, in Paul's language, it's literally the word good and the word report or news or announcement put together. It's a, it's a good news. It's a good announcement. It's something good has happened and we want to tell you about it. So last Wednesday, the papers said Braves win the World Series. In Paul's world, that would be the gospel of the Atlanta Braves. It's the good news. It's the good report. It's the good thing that's happened that we want to tell you about. In his world, that's a gospel. It has no religious overtones at all. It just means something good has happened. Paul says, I want to remind you about the gospel. And he says, I want to remind you about the foundations, like the the basis, like what's at the bottom? What's the most important? What do we talk about first? And he lists four things. Four little that, 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 that sentences. The first one is that Jesus died for our sins. Amen. Preach it. If you ask me what I thought the four most foundational truths of the scriptures of the gospel were, that would be number one for me as well. Jesus has died for our sins, just like the scriptures told us he would. This isn't new, it didn't just happen. This has always been God's plan. But if you think about it, that's an interesting thing to say is the foundation of your faith. I don't know if you if you know about other religions. But the foundation of a religion is a moral code. It's something that you do. So if you're Buddhist, it's the eightfold noble path. If you're a Muslim, it's the five pillars. If you're Hindu, it's the Dharma. You have a code that you follow. That's the central, the foundational point. The foundational point of Christianity is nothing you do. It's something that somebody else did. And all you do is believe it, accept it. Yes, that's true. The first thing, the bottom of the stack, Paul says, it's that Jesus died for our sins, amen. The second thing he says, the foundation of the Christian, of the Christian faith, that he was buried. All right, I gotta say, that wouldn't have been number two for me. If you ask me, what are the, 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 the four most basic things? Yep, died for our sins. He Buried would not be in there, um, But Paul says that's really important. And as I kind of went through the chapter and his argument, I think what he's saying is you need to understand what we just said Jesus died, that's the truth. It's not a story. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking fictional stories, we use them all the time. Jesus used fictional stories all the time. They're called parables, it's the main way he taught. When Jesus said, a man was walking in a field and found a pearl of great price, and in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. That's not a true story. You wouldn't have read that in the Palestinian Gazette the week before about this guy that impoverished himself to buy a field because th- there was a pearl in it. It's a story, and it makes a point, point. and we do that all the time. Stories are great for making points. Paul wants you to understand, this isn't a story. Jesus didn't metaphorically die. Jesus didn't die, and it didn't really happen, but we say that because it's an example that we need to follow. You know, most stories that we tell, it doesn't matter whether they're true or not. So when we were in Singapore, there was a point where I felt like my children had not been entirely truthful with me, in order to get something from me that might not have happened had they been entirely truthful. And I thought rather than discipline them, this is a good time for a, a, you know, a teaching moment. So I told them the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? About the importance of honesty. You know the story. Shepherd out with the sheep, he's bored to death, decides to spruce things up a little bit by yelling, wolf! And all the other shepherds come running, where, where, protect the flock, right? Oh, well, you know, he was in the trees, but he's gone now. And this is cool, because finally something's happening in this just, I'm going to die of boredom job. So for the next few days, he keeps doing that. Periodically, crawls out, wolf, and all the shepherds come running. And then you know the rest of the story. One day, there really is a wolf. And he cries out, wolf, and nobody comes, because he's lied to them so many times before. And the wolf doesn't just eat a sheep. The wolf kills his sheep and him. And then I turn to my kids, and I'm like, you know, okay, do you get it? Do you see the importance of honesty? And Nick looks at me and goes, one wolf killed all his sheep and him? No way, dad. Wolves hunt in packs. So don't let your kids watch Animal Planet if you're going to try and use these stories with them, because they're going to think them through. No! I mean, I didn't argue with him. Oh, no, there's a very special wolf in Bavaria that doesn't hunt in packs. Like, this is not the point. The point is the story. Do you get the story? Do you get what the story is teaching you? Do you see why it's important for you to be honest with me so I can trust you later? It doesn't matter that that's a made-up story. Paul says the death of Jesus, oh, that matters. That's not a made-up story. It's not a metaphor. It Happened. Jesus died, and his physical dead body was put in a physical cave in the physical ground. It's real. How do you know he died? They buried him. The Gospels say a Roman soldier stuck a spear in his side, and out came blood and water because he had been dead long enough. His heart hadn't been pumping long enough for his blood to start to separate. He was really and truly dead. Point one, he died for our sins. Point two, and he was buried. Point three, he rose again. Okay, amen, now we're back on track in my mind. Like, yes, if you were doing my four, number one would be died, number two would be rose again. Of course, this is the foundation of Christianity. Jesus died for us and then he came back to life. The most important holiday, the most sacred day in our whole calendar is Easter, the day we celebrate. Jesus came back to life. Jesus died for our sins and rose to new life. Absolutely, and if you noticed, maybe not, one, two, and three are are like, they're in all the creeds. Think about the Apostles' Creed. What does it say about Jesus? Was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Like we are just tracking with the Creed. Now look at what Paul says is number four. What's the fourth foundational concept he wants to make sure you know? He appeared to Cephas. That's Peter, the Apostle Peter. Or literally, he was seen to Peter. Peter saw Jesus after he came back from the dead. Then all the 12, those original 12 guys, his his inner circle of followers, they all saw him after he came back from the dead. Then Paul says, there are over 500 people who saw him and most of them are still alive. And then he appeared to James. This isn't James the apostle. It's Jesus' half-brother James, right? Like if somebody's trying to fake this, Okay, could, could you fake out 500 random people? Oh yeah, probably. Could you fake out the, the, the 12 disciples? Uh, I don't know, they were with him for a few years, but you might be able to pull that off, especially if you were one of those guys and knew his habits. Could you fake out his brother? Seriously, could, could you pretend to be Jesus and fake out the guy who grew up with him? No, of course not. He appeared to James and then Paul says, in a weird kind of strange way, he appeared to me. Because Paul didn't actually see him face to face. He had a vision of Jesus. And do you notice that those first three, like straight out of the creed, died, buried, rose again. Those take one and a half verses in Paul. They're not even sentences. Boom, boom, boom. People saw him. That takes four and a half verses. It's an entire paragraph. Paul spends almost all his time in this first section telling you all the different people who saw Jesus. Why? Because the proof that he died was that they buried him. And the proof that he came back was witnesses. The gospel of the Atlanta Braves. The Braves won the World Series. Okay, seriously, put your hands up. Who believes the Braves won the World Series? Like, you believe it, okay? Keep your hands up. Who saw all six games? Okay, who saw all six games? Keep your hands up. Who saw them physically with your eyes? You were sitting in the stadium watching them. Nobody. There's no one in this room that saw that happen. Folks, I grew up in Atlanta. Do you know how many times the Braves have broken our hearts? You actually, you did not see that they won, but you believe the Atlanta Braves, America's team, Won the World Series. Oh, you saw it on TV. Folks, while you were watching the Braves game, I was watching a documentary about space flight. There's this ship called the Enterprise that went to the planet Tau Ceti 3. The people there have huge heads because their brains are so big, they can control you with their brains. The documentary is called Star Trek, the original series, and it's episode 11, The Menagerie. I saw it on TV true story, I will not embarrass the person by saying who it was. Somebody told me they wanted to watch one of the games, but they don't have cable, and they're like, somebody must be streaming this on YouTube, right? Somebody's pointing. They've got their TV hooked up to their computer, so they Google it. Sure enough, they find Braves versus Astros, game three, whatever. They turn it on. It was almost 10 minutes before they realized they were watching a PS5 game. <laughs> Two guys... Had taken the two, the two teams, put in the same roster in the same stadium, and they were playing the game. And he watched this for almost 10 minutes before he realized, that's just not right. right? You saw it on TV. It must be true. Right? You read it in the paper. I read in the paper in the grocery store yesterday that Joe Biden is one of those aliens from Tau Ceti 3, and he's controlling you with his mind. And you're never going to believe this one. Donald Trump is from Atlantis. He wants to flood the whole world. He's got gills. I saw the picture. It was right there on the paper. I read it in the newspaper. It must be true. Who in their right mind would believe that the Braves have won the world? series. Yeah, all the hands go back up, right? Why? Why do we believe it? Witnesses. I say to you, I submit to you that it's all a farce. There was no World Series. It's big business taking your money. Did you know right now you can go on the internet and buy dirt? I am not making this up. Dirt from the stadiums. Okay, by the way, if you want to do that, please talk to me first. I have a lot of dirt from the stadiums that I'll be happy to sell to you for half that price, which as far as you know, will have come from the stadium in question. People are spending money on dirt because their team won the World Series. Hands up, how many of you have spent money on something? Doesn't have to be dirt. Shoes, clothing, all sorts of stuff. Yep, people are spending money because you believe the Braves won the World Series. You know what they're doing in Houston right now? They're spending money because the Astros won the World Series. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. That's all it is. They have, your sheep. They have convinced you of a lie with a little bit of trickery and they're making tons of money. How are you going to prove me wrong? Who here knows somebody in Houston? Call them. Hey, are you guys celebrating that Houston won the World Series? What are they going to say? You're a jerk. (laughs) What are you talking? Call them. There are witnesses. In this room, I guarantee we can put together a list of people who are at every game. Like with their very Eyes. Who here knows somebody in game one? Who here knows somebody that was at game two? We could get all six games and we could go talk to them. We could call them up and if we think the phone company's in on it, we could go see them with our own eyes, with our ears and mouth. We could say to a lot of people, Were you at that game? Game three, did this really happen? And of course they'd say, Yes. Witnesses, that's How you prove something. How do we prove that Houston is not celebrating and buying merchandise? We call somebody in Houston. You don't believe, you think the phone companies are not? We get in a car. In 24 hours, we can be in Houston interviewing people. You will find no one, well, at least I don't think so. No one who says Houston won the World Series. How do you prove something? Witnesses. And Paul here lists a whole bunch of witnesses he names names it's like a dare Jesus came back from the dead you don't believe me ask Peter Peter saw him ask any of the 12 they all saw him ask his brother James James saw him there are 500 people over 500 people most of whom are still alive Paul says that can tell you it's true how many people here think 9-11 is true that the, the towers fell. How many people here saw it happen, like with your eyes? You were in New York. I wasn't even in the country. Why do I believe that happened? Witnesses. Because I know a guy whose daughter died in that tower. Is he faking it? Is the picture of his daughter, I didn't, I didn't know his daughter, right? Is that all a lie? Is it possible that he's delusional and he never had a daughter and he's making it up to get sympathy? Yes, it is possible. People do that. Is it possible that the thousands of people who claim to have watched those towers fall, that the thousands of people who claim to have lost loved ones in those towers, is it possible that they're all lying? It's a big conspiracy I suppose in a world where random chance and time rule everything, yes, it is possible. An infinite number of monkeys typing on an infinite number of typewriters will eventually produce all the works of Shakespeare, right? That, is it likely that all this is fake? No. The probability, you know, is 0.000000. I gotta, probably gotta talk for 20 minutes before we get out to an actual digit on the chances that all these people are in on a giant conspiracy Paul says, Jesus died, it's a fact, and he came back from the dead, it's a fact. You don't believe me? You go ask those people. You've heard of the theory of six degrees of separation? You know, that that you can go from you to someone else. You're basically six human relationships away from anybody on the planet. You know, you know me and I know Josias in West Africa. And so, you know, you very quickly can get anywhere in the world with relationships. Paul says to the Corinthians, you are one degree of separation away from knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. You don't believe me, go to Jerusalem. Talk to Peter talk to the disciples, talk to his brother, go, go to one of their services and ask people, did you see it? No, no, not, not your buddy told you, not your parents said it, not you heard from this guy. Did you see him physically right there? Like I'm right here. Did you touch him? Paul says, you will find people who say, yeah. Oh my gosh, I hugged him. I got his tunic soaked. I was crying so hard. Yeah, I saw him, I touched him, it happened. Paul says the resurrection is truth, it's fact. It's not a story we tell ourselves. The gospels, the four stories we have about Jesus' ministry, his death and resurrection, they're not origin stories about a mythology, We're not telling ourselves stories about, oh, you're a Christian, and so here's this great origin story we've made up to explain ourselves. He said, we tell these stories because they're true. I don't care whether you believe them or not. They happened. It is historical fact. So you get things like, you've heard of a guy named Lee Strobel, who's an investigative reporter who decided to investigate the resurrection because he couldn't understand why people were basing their lives on a lie. Okay, you know, Islam is based on principles. Okay, he could understand that. But a guy coming back from the dead, that's so obviously a lie. Why do you believe that? So he investigated it and he decided, you know what? The best explanation is he came back from the dead. Like that's the only thing that answers all the questions. I listened to a podcast a couple weeks ago. Guy used to be a homicide detective. He was a cold case homicide. Every time a missing person report got about two years old, he would check it out. Had they turned up, because in our world, it's almost impossible to disappear for good. If a missing person is missing, they will turn back up in the next two years, unless they're dead. If they didn't turn up in the next two years, then he would investigate if they'd been murdered. So he's got no body. He just has a missing person. That's what he did for a living. His wife becomes a Christian, and she's tired of him complaining, and she says to him, well, look, investigate it. You're a cop. That's what you do, right? There's nobody you say he's dead. Prove it. So he did. He investigated it. He became a Christian. It's like, that's the only, he's clearly alive. There's no question that he is alive. Somebody asked him on the podcast, like, what's one of the things that makes you think the Gospels are true and not made up? He said, the contradictions. The contradictions prove it for me. The fact that Mark says there was one guy at the tombs and Matthew says there were two. John says they healed the leper going into Jericho and Luke says they healed him going out of Jericho. He said that's the way witnesses talk. You find four guys who tell you the exact same story right down to the details where they were standing, how many guys were over there. No way it's a lie. They've made up a story. They've gotten together. Witnesses never get the details same. I think it's a big story right? Yeah, we were, we were somewhere around Jericho and there was this leper and Jesus healed him and they get the big story right. They never get the details right. He said, I read the gospels and saw that that's exactly what they did. They all agreed on the big details, but they disagreed on whether it was one guy or two guys. They disagreed on whether it was coming into Jericho or going out of Jericho. He's like, that's how witnesses talk. I read the gospels and said, oh yeah, these, these guys are, are witnesses. This is eyewitness testimony. It doesn't mean I have to believe it. It doesn't mean they're telling me the truth. I'm just telling you, if they were faking it, if this was a story, it would read very differently. Paul says the foundation of our faith is that Jesus died and he came back from the dead. And it's not a story we tell ourselves. We don't believe it because it's beautiful or it's good or we, we love the morals and what it is. or we see the good effect it has on people. Although all those things are true. Absolutely, they're true. But that's not why we believe it. We believe it because it happened. Because it's a historical fact. It matters that Jesus was really dead and then he became really alive. And finally, in verse 12 now, Paul tells us what question he's answering. Remember, 1 Corinthians is him answering these issues, these questions they brought up with him. And we haven't known what it is until now. Fortunately, he tells us, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? Right? So either they've written him a question about it or one of the guys who brought the letter has said something about it. But there's people in Corinth saying, "Ah, oh, people don't really rise from the dead. <laughs> come on, that, that, that's a little over the top. Right? I mean, the teachings of Christianity, they're, they're great. I definitely want to follow them. This is awesome. But come on, you don't, people don't really come back from the dead that's not the important part and wow Paul spends the rest of this half of a chapter drilling into the fact that oh yeah that is the important part the important part is that he really truly literally was dead and then was alive and Paul says if that's not true then I'm lying to you why are you listening to me if I lied to you about that then I probably lied to you about everything else didn't I I'm either lying to you or I'm a nut job. Either way, why would you believe any of this? Your sin, you're not forgiven. If this is all a lie, if it's a fake, oh, it's just a story, we say because of all the, the good things that happen. You're not forgiven. You're still separated from God, and when you die, you're done. And all of your relatives who are dead, they're done. Paul says it matters that Jesus really truly came back from the dead. And he goes on in verse 20 and on down, he gives all these theological implications. Adam, Adam sins. He won't obey God. And so death enters the world. Look out the window. The trees are dying. Like we don't have to go far to know that death is in this world. But Paul says, life is in this world too. If Jesus didn't actually come back from the dead, if it's just a metaphor, then death. That's the end of the world. That's the end of what happens, death. But Paul says, Jesus did come back. He did rise from the dead. That's what matters. Jesus was dead and now he's not. And every single one of us will one day be dead. There's nothing you can do about it. Death and taxes, right? The only certainties in the universe. Every single person will die. And Paul says, if you know Christ, we are all coming back. That song we sing, if you walked out of the grave, I am walking too. Jesus is the first resurrection of the dead. Oh, but he is not the last, Paul says. He's the first fruits. He's the beginning But every single person who hopes in him will follow him out of the grave, Paul says. That's that's our hope. How do we know it's true? Because he did it. Because it's actually happened. When, When you have something new that's gonna happen to you, especially if you're nervous about it, what do you do? You go and talk to someone who's already done it. You know, you're you're concerned about parking at, well, let's just say Dragon Con. You're concerned about parking at Dragon Con. Hey, come talk to me. I know all the best spots. I've been to a dozen of them, right? I can definitely make sure you find a place to park if you go down to Dragon Con, right? You're you're having some new procedure and you're worried about it. Find somebody that's already had it. Talk to them. Get some information. You wonder what's going to happen after you die? Talk to the only guy you can ask who's come back and is still alive and is still talking. You want to know what happens? Ask him. He can tell you. He really, truly rose from the grave, Paul says. And, and he goes on and we don't have time to talk about all of what this means in terms of he's taken over the whole planet one day. Like he has conquered death. One day he will conquer everything. Everything is going to be put right. It's not just us that are coming back. The whole creation is going to be redone. But look at how he ends. In verses 32 through 34. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Paul says, you live out what you believe and what you believe affects how you live. And he challenges the Corinthians, you're not telling people about Jesus because you don't believe it. You do not actually believe that he was dead and now he's alive. And that is going to be true for every person who trusts in him. They will be dead and then they will be alive because every single person on the planet will be dead. Paul says, if you believed that, if you believed that you knew how to save every single human on this planet, you would be telling them. And that's true, isn't it? If a friend of yours, you know, who's obviously drunk, says, hey, I'm going home now and staggers off, do you let them? No, of course not. You take their keys. Hey, you're, you're drunk. You can't drive. Let me drive you. I'm not drunk. Do you say, oh, well, that's your reality and my reality is different. No, they're drunk. It's a reality. You take their keys. Oh, I'll be fine. It's no problem. No, no, you won't. You know reality and so you take action. And if you know reality and don't take action, if you know that guy is drunk out of his mind and he's about to get in a car, wow, what does that say about us? When we know these terrible things, we're, we're, we're headed for them and we don't do anything. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. You don't believe this. You don't believe. I mean, you, we all know everybody's gonna die. You don't actually believe that everyone can come back. You don't even have to do anything. You don't have to follow the eightfold path. You don't have to follow the five pillars. You don't have to follow the Dharma. You don't have to follow anything. You just have to believe it, accept it. You have to say, yes, please, me too. That's it. The foundation of Christianity is not what we do. It's what Jesus has already done. Paul says, you don't believe that. If you believed it, you would be acting on it. There are people are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame, Paul says to them. You don't believe, so you don't act. And you don't act because you don't believe. And brothers and sisters, wow, isn't that true of us? I mean, how often for us is the resurrection just a, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, of course. Easter, of course. Jesus came back from the dead, of course. Like, has that gripped us the reality that every single man woman and child on this planet can come back from the dead how do we know that he did he really did you investigate it you work it there are hundreds of witnesses Paul says go ask them if you don't believe me here let me tell you some names you can talk to this is fact it's real investigate it how often do we not speak because we don't believe? We don't actually think that Jesus is offering to save the world. I mean, that's what Paul says. He's going to take the whole world, he's going to put everything under his feet one day. That day is coming. Now, we don't see that day yet. So, why do we believe it? Because he was dead and now he's alive. So, I'm going to pray for us. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to us, to, to convict us. Do we believe this? Well, like not just, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I believe it like, you know, I believe that there's a city called Moscow in Russia. Never been there, never seen it, don't know anyone from there, but I'm sure it's there, I've heard about it. Like, you know, James says, hey, the demons believe in Jesus. They know Jesus way better than you do. They just don't submit to him. He scares them to death. Do we believe this? I'm gonna ask God to speak to us. Do we believe the resurrection is a true historical fact and that it will become a historical fact for every person who trusts in Christ? Everyone throughout history who has ever died and trusted Jesus, they will come back from the dead. And we will too. I'm gonna ask God, do we believe that? And if we do, what ought we to do about that? If we know, if we have the knowledge that can save the life of everyone on this planet, what should we do with that? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, I, I, I confess, and I'm sure I confess for some of my brothers and sisters, that yeah, I, I, give, I give intellectual assent to the resurrection. I, I, I believe you came back from the dead. But boy, not like this. Not like what Paul says. Not like this certainty that, oh yeah, I can go ask people. There are witnesses. You can investigate this. This isn't a myth and it's not a story. It really, truly happened. You have come back from the dead. It can be done. It will be done. Jesus, forgive me, forgive us for not caring very much about this. For for being excited about all that your resurrection means for me and not being excited about what it means for the world. Jesus, forgive us and change us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to us. I pray you would speak to us as individuals and speak to us as a church if we believe the resurrection is true. If we know that everyone is going to die and we know that no one has to stay dead then what do we do about that? What role do you want us as individuals, as your followers, and as a church, as your community, what do you want us to do about that? Jesus, we are your servants. And we confess and say together now, you did walk out of that grave we will walk out of that grave as well death could not hold you you have broken its power paul will talk about that a good bit next week you have broken the power of death it cannot keep us just like it couldn't keep you jesus thank you for your mercy speak to us. Help us to change where we need to change. Help us to believe what we need to believe and act the way we need to act because you have come back from the dead. You will return one day and put every single thing in this universe under your feet. Help us to be the people you want us to be, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.